Similarly to a taxon, I am ravenous for flesh. Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Hey, is everybody here? Uh, yeah. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Hi, hey, everyone. Hello. So uh, excited to talk about stuff this week. Woohoo! Yeah. Does everybody's uh, is everybody's internet working okay? There was a big storm last night. Uh, we actually. Um, so I moved back in with my parents for a little while. Um, for a while, I was staying on campus still. Um, our power was out almost all of yesterday. Jeep oof. Yeah. Um, we in California? Wow. No, my family moved out of California a few years ago. Oh, oh, you just grew up in California. Okay. I grew up in California, but my family moved. Um, but yeah, no, it was actually my dad um, and I were coming in and we saw a truck backing out of the road up to our um, house. And we were like, why is this truck backing out? It's so weird. And then we got past the truck and we were like, oh, that's why the truck was backing out because there was a line down like almost all the way across the road and like a tree down most of the way across the road, like possibly live wires all over the road. We had to like, kind of off-road a little and we drove around. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anyone else had um, electricity problems. I had power, but I did not have internet. We huh. had to reset the router like six times. It sucked. Oof. Yeah, I tried to reset the router a couple of times, and then I went, and lots of other uh, internet customers um, were also having their internet cut out, so I feel like a tower went down or something. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm glad that we all seem to have at least adequate internet for our class discussion today, so should we get started? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's all... Yeah, names and pronouns. Hi, I'm Brad, and I use he and they. Uh, hi, I'm Parker. I use she, her, and my hand-washing mantra is the original Poker app with just the 150 first batch of Pokemon. Parker, are you going to introduce yourself with a fun fact every single time? That was my plan. Nice, I like it. Um, I'm Cassandra. Extreme hand-washing challenge, do the Brian David Gilbert Pokemon rap. Don't know what this is. <laughs> Anyway, you'd be washing your heads for like six minutes. Culture references I don't get aside. My name's Cassandra and I use she, her pronouns. And now I want to think of a fun fact. Um, fun fact, I found a tick crawling on my hand earlier today. I hate that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, it was probably an animal. It was not. Though, so I flushed it fun. down the toilet. Good. That's where it belongs. <laughs> That's not where animals belong. Anyway. Erso, maybe you could introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Erso Ren. It's pronounced Erso, not Erso. Erso. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and um, I took a picture of myself surrounded by all the Animorphs journals. Nice. And it was great. Nice. <laughs> Proud of you, Amazing. Erso. You should send those to us. I will. It was a sight to behold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Y'all have head washing mantras? Like, I don't know. I, I just use, it's crazy how there are 
there used to just be 150 Pokemon instead of the 5,120 that we know about now. Um, before I really had my technique down, I was using the first verse of Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Uh -huh. <laughs> 20 seconds is the recommended amount of time, and it's just enough time for me to, like, cry a little bit about how I'm undoing the work I did earlier of moisturizing my hands. <laughs> Usually it's just the intro music to whatever podcast I've been listening to. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what kind of podcasts have you been listening to? Yeah, what are you listening to right now? What's your current, um, imagine um, you're washing your hands. It's, I have to, I have to look at my app to remember what I've been listening to. Um, a lot of like old culture review podcasts. I, I like, I like the Star Trek, mm -hmm. as you may have been able to tell. Right. So I'm listening to a, a classic Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation, um, and what else is in my recently played? So they have the like Captain Jean Luc Picard of the USS <laughs> Enterprise as their theme. Do they music. really? Yes. Oh my god, that's so funny! Oh, it's so good. Make it so make it make it make it so. Um, <laughs> Two year old Grey Hop. Yeah. And yet again, I am left with no idea what you're talking about. And so is our professor. <laughs> Brad, your appreciation for the ephemera of culture from like way back in the day is like astounding. And I don't know anybody else who manages it in quite the same way that you do, just in terms of like holding all of that information in your head. Like it's marvelous. I wouldn't necessarily expect anybody else to be able to match you in this regard. Although goodness knows I've tried on occasion. Thanks, babe. That's a nice way of saying that I make inside jokes only with myself. <laughs> don't we all? I think it's cute when you do it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, class discussion. Yeah, so let's start out with this one. This is this has a lot of questions about unreliable narrator, even more than any of mm -hmm. the previous four. In which <laughs> this whole thing gets absolutely turned to eleven. Yeah, this it's it's so intense and like. There's, all, there's a lot of stuff that happens, like, sort of personally with, like, the Animorphs. It's, like, intense, obviously. And then also, like, have a lot of intense, huge confrontations with, like, you know, Wizard 3 and stuff. Yeah, see, Brad, th yeah. Brad, this was why I was, like, desperately trying to play it cool when you were saying, oh, maybe Marco's mom is alive. <laughs> I, there was no maybe about it. I was 100% <laughs> certain Marco's mom was alive as soon as... In this journal, a little bit later, he goes. He gives us more specifics than we'd gotten from any of the other animorphs. That she died in a mysterious boating accident, and her body was never found. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, oh, she she abducted. I would say you called it, but this was like a hundred years ago. So, well, you know what? I was homeschooled, so I get to call. I get. I take my victories. You called it, babe. Great job. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. So Marco kills some guys. He he claims <laughs> like, he claims he's like checking, but I'm like the the way that he describes like hitting them, I'm like even if those people are technically still alive while he's checking on them, like they're gonna die. Yeah, I agree. Gorillas aren't really well known for calling nine one one. There's a lot of that in this book of like them making sure to remind us that oh. <laughs> No, that guy's still alive. Marco didn't kill him. It's like, and, did like, you follow up with him at the hospital? Yeah. Um, He's going to pay his hospital bill. 
this is a common trope in all of the uh in all of the superhero media that Marco yes. mentions a little bit mm. later as inspiration for himself is like, I am every superhero. They also definitely <laughs> don't kill people. <laughs> yeah. He mentions uh, Spider-Man. Um, and I've actually seen uh, an old video about one of the Spider-Man games and spider both Spider-Man and Batman. One of their things, they don't kill people, but like Spider-Man in this video game, absolutely does things that kill or permanently maim people. And that's just not even true about Batman even remotely. Like, Batman kills people. It happens. I had no intention of killing anyone. I hoisted the knife guy into the dumpster with his friend. He wasn't breathing real well, but I figured he'd survive. No! Buddy, <laughs> the no! first rule of emergency medicine is check the airway to make sure that they can breathe. I was literally just thinking about this because I was just thinking about what I would do if I needed to give someone CPR while we're in the middle of a pandemic. Like, would I give them mouth to mouth or not? And I was like, ah, the very first thing you do is check if they're breathing. Well, I mean, you want to clear the airway first and then yeah. check if they're breathing. But that's why I've got one of those. Uh, there's like I've got a CPR mask where it's like a one way intake valve. Just to clarify. So Marco runs into some a couple of people who are shaking an old man down for money. This kind of thing really happened in the 90s. I feel like I've never seen this actually or like heard about this actually happening. This feels very weirdly, I mean, sort of comic book like we were talking about or just this. It feels very stilted and made up. I feel like this is I feel like this is sort of Marco's perception of the situation that he's in. Like, I think Marco especially likes to characterize things in a lot of different ways. And maybe some of the other um, Animorphs don't really write about it in such a stylized way, but Marco especially seems to only be able to interpret things through the lens of, oh, this is like a comic book thing I'm doing, or this is like a masculine thing that I'm doing, or oh, this is like a, this is like a fun friend thing that I'm doing together with my friends. And like, he has to sort of like, put on these different, not masks really, but like, it's his way of, an, it, it just feels like a filter. He codes he views reality. Yeah. And like, this sort of feels like his way of dealing with what otherwise is a pretty terrifying situation. Like these, these people have like a, not only a, a knife, but a gun and this man could die. And he is going to change into a giant gorilla and deal with his groceries later, just like Spider-Man and, you know, mess up these guys and go about his day. And how else can you interpret that aside from like a superhero situation? So I really think that it is, it is his way of coping with it. That's a great reader. So. Yeah. And if you think about like superhero violence, like the violence in superhero movies is often abstracted and like not, uh, not showing a lot of realism, like saying, Oh, head trauma. Isn't that bad? Yeah. Because we're not. Yeah, and so that also allows using superheroes specifically would allow Marco to uh, distance himself from the level of violence actually being committed. Yeah, I mean, because it's just like, I get that in a lot of superhero movies, it's like, oh, that person is superhuman, but plenty of superheroes are normal people with like special equipment or very, very highly trained. And it's like, they should be injured just like everyone else. You know, if sure. if you're very athletic spy character gets clobbered in the head, they're dead. I read an interesting academic paper recently about the 
uh, about kind of drawing a comparison between the highly choreographed fight scenes of the like superhero mega blockbusters of like two decades after this or something like that, um, like compared to and contrasted to uh, the like massive uh, choreographed dance numbers of films being made in India at around the same time. Huh. Uh, it was really cool. It was a cool paper. Yeah. Um, then we get a little uh, record scratch. Marco, time out. You left out a few things. Like, how can you turn into a gorilla? You're probably wondering how I got in this situation. Uh, and he gives a little background. Um, the Animorphs are having a meeting, and Marco decides to tell us that he notices that Cassie and Jake are snuggling up together, Aww. even though no one's supposed to really know. Um, so it's interesting because we haven't come back around to Jake as a narrator yet. But when we were talking about those moments when um, it last time when Jake and Cassie think they're going to die and they sort of, without saying, I love you, say that. Mm -hmm. I think in your memory, Cassandra, they didn't really address it. And maybe those two characters don't address it in their books, but Marco knows what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I think Marco is very emotionally perceptive. I think Marco and Cassie were the two most emotionally perceptive of the Animorphs, but I do think that Marco is at least somewhat better at self-analysis than Cassie. I do. I feel like Cassie can have a bit of, of a, a gap in her emotional awareness when it comes to analyzing her own emotions and where they come from, whereas I think Marco maybe does cover things up, but I think he at least knows what he's doing emotionally even if he is like immediately goes then well i'm going to ignore that and bottle it up i think they come from very different places yeah i i, I agree yeah so but i i think that marco and cassie because both of them in their narration you really see them really doing a good job of characterizing the other animorphs and summing them up very well and really understanding how the other animorphs function a lot of the time um, and so I think Marco is a very emotionally perceptive person who does not necessarily use his powers of being emotionally perceptive for good, um, but he notices that Cassie and Jake are interested in each other. My counterpoint to this is that, I mean, chapter two is just like the beginning of let's go to Marco's masculinity corner. Um, um, I know we talked a lot earlier when we were discussing uh, journal number three about queer reads of these journals. Um, I feel like chapter two of this one presents a really strong case for Marco being the bisexual disaster of the group. Um, yeah. Can I Gotta just have one. Gotta have please, one. Can I just read Marco's description of Jake? Yes. Yes. Jake is my best friend, even though, unfortunately, he's kind of a pain sometimes. He's one of those serious type guys. You say the word responsibility and he snaps into action. He's the kind of guy who always seems like he's bigger than he actually is. That's because he has that whole I'm in charge and you can trust me thing going on. He has sensible brown hair and trustworthy brown eyes and one of those confident chins. <laughs> he also has a great sense of humor and is very smart and I would trust him with my life any day, any time. Not that I would ever tell him that. I would love to tell Jake that he's my best friend and I would take a bullet for him, but real men don't express their feelings. Oh my God. I love your real man voice. <laughs> Marco understands masculinity like um like a child understands that like a mascot character on a cereal box 
isn't really <laughs> real, but he's kind of real. Like Marco has such an interesting sort of like perspective on and relationship to masculinity and the kind of like acrobatics that I am. I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's really conflicted about this. Like it's not something that I, I feel like gives him a lot of consternation later. Um, but oh my God, just like I had a couple moments where I'm like, oh my God, these teens, these teens. Uh, yeah, he is He is so self-aware of like what masculinity requires of him. Like every time something like that happens, um, he like... It's very like no homo in the narration. Yeah, yeah. or e even more explicit of just being like, guys don't do this. <laughs> so, um, which I think a lot of teens aren't even there yet to verbalize why they do what they do. Yeah, they're like, this is something I shouldn't do, but I don't know why. I just feel this sense of unease. It's the parentification, in hmm. my opinion. And Jake mm -hmm. talks a little bit about that. Jake has a couple of these moments, but Marco has so many of them. He's thinking about it a lot more actively and a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Er, so you think that the parentification of Marco uh, by his dad has something to do with his uh, increased sort of social awareness? Well, I think he, uh, I mean, his dad's depressed, like very clearly. Yeah. We see yeah. in, in, the, in the text that he has like signs of clinical depression because of what happened with his, his wife, obviously. And I think Marco feels the need to take responsibility for like, needing to be quote unquote the man in the house. And not only what that means in terms of responsibility realistically for like, I don't know, not, you know, like preventing the end of the world, quote unquote, and um, making sure that his dad, like, I don't know, doesn't sleep all day or something, or like making sure that he can like, I don't know, go to school and be a responsible kid, but also like he has this sort of masculinity that he has to live up to that his dad is not performing because he's depressed. <laughs> and I think that he just feels sort of lost without that. Yeah, he definitely, he's, I mean, he is the caretaker at the very beginning. He's bringing home groceries, like he's bringing home the bacon. Um, yeah. That's an important part of his identity and his sort of yeah. whole relationship with the paternal figure. In his I life. think he kind of thinks of himself as the man of the house now. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. And being the man of the house comes with all this other masculinity baggage. Yeah, not that he, um, yeah, just, I don't feel like that's his, he feels like that's his role in the Animorphs necessarily, but like, just, you know, with regards to, because I feel like his role in the Animorphs, he feels like is very different. Yeah, I mean, the team dad and the Animorphs, Jake, absolutely. Yeah, clearly. Jake is, Jake is team dad. Jake is actually kind of team mom sometimes, but Jake's definitely like the par the parental figure of the Animorphs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in as much as they have one. I, I do think also uh Marcus description of Cassie is kind of funny. Um I'm I love to... the part about the wolf. Uh Cassie is the one who is least like me. If yes. I'm comedy, she's poetry. Great. Oh, really mm -hmm. good. Um, really good bit. Uh she's a natural peacemaker. She's the one who knows when you're feeling bad and will find something nice to say that makes you feel better. And it's not like she's manipulating. She really cares about things. She's like sincere or something. <laughs> that was the yes, that was the one I my, was. My most favorite part, which I want to say my favorite part of his, his description of Cassie is really long. Um, actually, I think he finds her a little bit 
confusing. But I just want to say my favorite part is um, you go out to her barn and you'll see this little short black girl in overalls and boots with her arm halfway down the throat of a wolf that could just bite it right off. And she'll be smiling and acting like it's no big deal. And the wolf will be just standing there looking like he's trying to earn a gold star for being the best little boy in school. (laughs) (laughs) Just that cracked me up. Yeah, Yeah. I'm looking forward to more interactions between Marco and Cassie because we don't get a lot of a lot of direct interaction. They really bounce off each other a lot, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad ways, because I think Marco's right. They do they do have very different personalities. I think that's part of why Marco spends a lot of time describing her is because he's a little perplexed by her. Hmm. Mm-hmm. He's also very openly critical when it calls for it. Yeah, know? which I love. True. Yeah. His description of Rachel um is a bit shorter. Miss fashion, miss properly applied makeup. Um, she's 13. I yeah, <laughs> highly dubious that she knows how to apply makeup oh, properly. My makeup when I was 13 was so bad. And I had a leg up because I was a theater kid. So I had to wear makeup from like age five for theater. And it was still so bad when I was 13. Yeah, no, Marco just doesn't know the difference. <laughs> Marco is like one of those guys who sees a picture of a woman wearing like a full face of makeup, but she just doesn't have like bright red lipstick on. And he's like, yeah, I like natural <laughs> girls. <laughs> I like girls agree. who don't wear any makeup. I feel like everyone in the book is like this, actually, because they all describe her as wearing really good makeup. And I think they're all just kind of like fools when it comes to makeup because they're all kids. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's probably a combination of like Rachel is maybe like good at makeup by 13 year old standards and also is just conventionally good looking anyway. And so it's really hard to mess up like how good she looks by applying makeup badly. I mean, mm-hmm. as conventionally good looking as a 13 year old can be because 13 year olds are kind of weird and blobby, but. Okay. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> I don't mean like favorite... physically, literally blobby. I mean like unformed. Right. Okay. <laughs> they don't call them the blunder years for nothing. <laughs> Truly. My favorite part of this, of this section was when Marco was very like kind of perplexed and confused and distracted by the fact that Rachel just does a flip. Like yeah, this was hilarious to me because like <laughs> as someone who like has a compulsion to just do yoga in public spaces sometimes, <laughs> just because it's like a habit, I like really mu- I really related to Rachel in this moment, just being like, yeah, I'm that person who's like sometimes upside down for no reason. <laughs> So Marco and Rachel are the two members of the group who are the most concerned with like performative like mm-hmm. performativity but they come up they go about it in really different ways yeah and i think they don't get along because of the different ways they go about it they do sometimes have like a good banter going but then also sometimes they like get into big screaming matches true i think they're more common than they realize because they both sort of use that performative aspect as like a mask to sort of like conceal the things that they don't feel like they can express. In Rachel's case, it's like the really intense, like, driven like, I have a mission and I need to fulfill it and nobody can know about it. And in Marco's case, it's like, I just um, I feel things. emotions. <laughs> According, this is in the third chapter when they meet up with Axe. According to Cassie and Rachel, Axe is cute. I wouldn't know, being a guy. Yep. 
Oh my god, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Marco, I don't know how to inform you that men are allowed to recognize that things are cute. You can't tell him that, though, because that will, that'll disintegrate, like, so much of his understanding of masculinity. That'll no. just throw it right the heck out the window. The poor boy. <laughs> he will be so confused about what he's supposed to slash allowed to do. Like, Yeah. Marco, honey, uh, the answer is everything. You're allowed to do whatever you want and not be constrained by traditional masculinity. Yeah, well... Were you allowed to in the 90s, though? I have a lot of feelings about the ways in which the human children of this group have failed to socialize the alien that they are housing um, and prepare him for uh, anything. Interaction with people outside their yeah, sphere, I really, let alone I really Operation don't know, Radio Shack. I don't know why they assume that he's just going to act like, quote-unquote, normal. Like, they're just like, that's never a part of the plan. They're like, okay, let's like, we have all the times down. It's going to take 10 minutes to do this, 10 minutes to get there, and like 10 minutes to be a Radio Shack. And then like, they're like, everything else is just going to be fine though. Like, remember how it's really difficult when you morph like, I don't know, an elephant or something, and like the elephant brain has a lot to say? Nah, the human mind isn't going to have anything to say to X. <laughs> it's not going to be a big deal. I get, I get the sense that a, a good chunk of time happens between the end of uh, The Last General uh, volume four that Cassie narrates and this one that there's like a week or something. Yeah, I think so. I think a couple weeks. I think they've probably all been hanging out with him, but that's still, there are a bunch of weirdos. So I'm not sure that really adequately socializes him either. They're also teens and we, I can't like in as much as I'm frustrated by it. I can't expect them to do well because they're teens and they don't know how to socialize, you know, someone who's, in the process of, for them, making first contact, you know? Mm -hmm. um, um, la later on, um, when they're when they're in a sticky situation, um, Marco says... But a sticky bun situation. A, a sticky bun. <laughs> yes. um, Marco says, but Axe didn't have anything to morph but a shark, a lobster, an ant, and, an har and a harrier. Like, literally, they've been in... Like, there is some... Have, haven't they been in... How long has Axe been on Cassie's property? Because Cassie has the barn theoretically there has been time to acquire other morphs and they just haven't done it yeah there are so many missed opportunities well, i, I, I do know. think so i do think that part of it is that i think axe mentions this much later um a lot of andalites despite the fact that many andalites can morph a lot of andalites don't really use morphing power and that doesn't really occur to them as the first way or even like the second or third or fourth or fifth way to solve a problem and they're a lot of them they're, they're basic farm yeah and a lot of them learn to morph like one thing just so that they have the ability to morph and then don't do anything else so part of it may just be that it doesn't really occur to axe to take the initiative to morph anything um other than like what he's had to morph because circumstances and missions required it yeah, if I recall, actually, Axe does have one additional morph. Um, that the he... bird thing. Yeah, the bird thing. Uh, um, the Harrier is the last one that Marco mentions in the quote earlier. I think that's the bird. He has a, a morph that he acquired on his home planet. Oh! Is a six-winged bird that I can't remember the... Um, the name of right now, was that but mentioned in this book, I totally. Forgot I don't. About that. I don't think it was mentioned in this book. Oh, I think I didn't know that. Book. Yeah, that's really interesting. I just he also has that, and I think that the, he just maybe didn't want to <laughs> appear as an alien bird on this planet. 
I was gonna I was gonna launch into my next point, but I also need to remember that uh, Axe is also a teen. Mm-hmm. Very which true. I kind of forgot because you know he he doesn't really know how to do this either. I don't know. I'm like I in retrospect, I'm like, oh, they made so many mistakes. The other thing though that's coming to mind that is an excuse for them is that I I don't know this for sure. But if I had to guess, I would say the only one of these kids who prior to this whole escapade was into sci-fi was Tobias. The other kids just don't have experience with narratives about socializing people from other planets. And so they don't have like they don't have a frame of reference for like what's useful there. I feel like Marco Marco strikes me as the kind of person who might like casually watch some Star Trek or something like that. Mm-hmm. If they had Star Trek showing in this time period. I know there have been different shows at different times. I think he does, actually, if memory serves. Yes. Later, after this conversation, we should match uh, each of the Animorphs to the sci-fi property that they are most likely to enjoy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like Cassie would really like some Ursula K. Le Guin. Axe does actually have a favorite television show. Really? Um, it's, it's, not a sci- it's not a sci-fi show. <laughs> Is it Friends? It's not. That's a good guess. It's not Friends. I only guessed that because, again, the, the, the Dolphins earlier. I don't know. I oh, Yeah. Friends had a pretty big cultural impact at this point. It's true. I was also going to say that I think that this reinforces my theory that Axe would be considered uh, neurodivergent by Andalite standards. The kids were like, well, even an alien should be able to get some stuff. And Axe is just like, I have no frame of reference for how this should work at all. I like that read. Yeah, me too. So yeah, they went to Radio Shack because they need um, they need to find the components to build a a decoy device to um, draw a Yerk bug fighter down to a false signal. Axe went into detail about how the Andalites would use this all the time in the war with the Yerks because they would always have the same procedure for dealing with this kind of signal, which was sending out exactly one bug fighter. And one bug fighter would be able to travel back to the Andalite homeworld, which is where Axe wants to go. So he has, Axe is able to find everything that he needs at Radio Shack, except for a Z space transponder. I feel like this has to be a crowning achievement in Andalite history. The moment that Axe Escaruthi seal generated 90% of an interplanetary distress beacon out of parts purchased at a Radio Shack. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it's quite blown away by this. Anyway, even before like all the planned stuff, I'm just like, you're literally going to do this at Radio Shack. Holy cow! Okay, yeah. So Axe messes everything up and is super socially awkward, and it gave me intense anxiety. And the cops come. Yeah, that was bad. And the only way that they think to hide, the the only possible way they could possibly hide in this grocery store with lots of aisles and doors is to turn into lobsters. Oh, God. They do the worst morphs in this book. Just absolutely yeah. the most this horrifying is, morphs. This, yeah, this so one nasty. was very hard for me to read. It was, I was, I felt it like, was really intense. I felt like I was dry heaving a little bit. Yeah, the lobsters are a bad time. But yeah, so we have a scene in which, thankfully, a, um, a human that they run into is not a human controller. Um, and just like happens to be happens to believe them and thinking that everything is a bad dream. <laughs> 
that like chant that Marco comes up with, like catch me in the coven at 3.22 a.m. on a Friday night in my backyard chanting, eat, eat, kill and eat. Um, also, you don't take the rubber bands off when you boil the lobster. Like you keep them on. I don't know. Wait, you do? No, no, you don't. You don't take the rubber bands off before you put the lobster in the water. Gross. Wait. Okay. I'm sorry. I just thought of something because of what Parker said. What if you were a witch and you could also morph, so you were also your own familiar? Okay. So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something interesting about the fact that Marco doesn't know what his lobster senses are telling him. Like the, mm -hmm. the, the fact that like the animal senses alone are not enough to correctly perceive with the sort of sensory apparatuses he has. Uh, he needs the animal mind as well. Like that was really intriguing to me. And I think, yeah, right, yeah, I don't know. I didn't have, a I think so as well. That's, that's I a thought really, that was, thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought of that. Um, so, yeah, so they demorph in front of this poor woman, and she is scarred forever. And... This is why we have amnestics now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so they leave her home. Who has a nightmare. Oh, yes, he has Marco that nightmare. Marco has a body horror nightmare. There's a lot of body horror in this one. Yeah, there really is. An he... extreme amount. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a confession real quick. Mm -hmm. um, Please do. At the beginning of chapter nine... I fully, like, I fully didn't recognize that it was a nightmare until... Marco, Marco, wake up. Like, I thought it was just a transition from, hey, we're going to leave this extremely awkward situation of we've just turned into people and told you to get rid of all your lobsters and leave you probably scarred for a while, immediately to Jake and I are playing video games at the mall. <laughs> I'm like, what? You just escaped being boiled alive and now you're playing video games at the mall? reasonable <laughs> uh i got punked so bad by marco's tricks uh by the, the 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 goofy the it's not a goofy trick it's just a nightmare but i i got very wrapped up in the story <laughs> and realized that it was a nightmare well, it's, sequence. It's the way he chose to write it ostensibly we got to see um the example of marco's father being really really despondent and um difficult to deal with like uh, here, he can't deal with his emotions, and um, Marco can't really deal with his father having these emotional issues. Uh, he goes on to say, "Part of me is mad when I see him that way. Part of me just wants to say, Dad, get it together. Let her go. She's dead. She doesn't want us spending the rest of her lives mourning. But I, I never do say that. And that's just really interesting to me because he feels like." You know, he has to take responsibility for this. And I don't know if Marco has ever had room to, like, recover and heal from this, like, trauma of his mother leaving because his father is always so out of it. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. which, I mean, it's not like you can blame him for it. But um, especially with the pressure of saving the world, I'm sure he feels very suddenly responsible. So, yeah, and he's kind yeah. of had enough of that. And he indicates that later. And then... We realize that we need the Z-Space transponder, and that whole thing happens. Yeah, so they figure out that Chapman, who is a controller, um, probably has a Z-Space transponder. They somehow determine that it would be in his basement, and then they devise a horrible plan, just an absolutely terrible plan. Yeah, this is one of Cassie's ideas being just like, 
the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's another sort of like great at tactics, awful at strategy kind of moment. Like, okay, maybe this is why Cassie didn't want to take responsibility for plans because uh, her plans suck. Yeah, so they all turn themselves into ants, which is Im- immediately after Marco suffers this horrible trauma of having to turn into a lobster and almost dying. Yeah. Um, they turn into another invertebrate, turn into the ants. Um, yeah, he morphs into an ant and his ego dies. Yeah, that was maybe of all the body horror that <laughs> happens in this book, I think that was the most horrifying thing <laughs> when they all... Let me find it. Uh, beginning of chapter 12. Thank you. There was no me. No me. My antenna swept the air. Strange. Not home. Not colony. Enemy territory. Um, Tobias, who's unaware of what's going on, uh, asks how they're doing. There would be killing soon. So the, the ants have total control. This is sort of an interesting inverse. They've got, they've done like, wolves and birds and sort of like slightly smart animals and been able to overcome that those like and get used to them when they did dolphins they had extra trouble overcoming the dolphin mind because the dolphin mind was so smart and so like not similar to human but you know like the thought patterns they almost didn't notice and this there's nothing there there's just absolutely nothing there but it completely consumes them like a void just the the thought thought of like i my legs like like as marco is observing and thinking about his environment he like is using personal pronouns just by accident and every time that comes back in he's reminded oh me my i'm am i a person and then Ah, I screamed inside my own head. Tobias said later that it scared him half to death. He thought I was being killed. That wasn't it at all. I had been reborn. Um, and then everybody's screaming. And Axe is asking, uh, what kind of creatures are these? <laughs> it sounded terrified. They have no self. I was lost. They are only parts like cells. Yeah, this definitely is one of the scariest moments. If at least in the whole journal, then perhaps, like, maybe all of the journals. It's, it's, it's really intense. Like, Ego death's no joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, people's understanding of what different brains and minds were like in the 1990s, I think, was very different. And so his even even his capacity to understand what's happening to him is so much more it's so so simplified, but it's so ah, gave me the chills. But they kind of succeed, at least. This really reminded me of some articles I've read about like meditation and meditative practices going very wrong, especially for like people who have a history of mental illness or people who just for whatever reason their brains are not wired in a way where meditation is good for them. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I think, I mean, that's why a lot of mental health, like you can't just say one thing works because one thing that's very helpful to one person's, another person can turn that around and yeah. turn it into self-harm or just by accident be harmed by it. Yeah. Or it can just straight up not work for them. Like 
I've never been able to meditate because my brain does not shut up ever. <laughs> yeah, also I think meditation has in it like historically at least had kind of narrow definitions of what it can mean. Like you sit and you like listen to music and you're calm, but like meditation is sort of like a flow state and any way that people can achieve that is could be called meditation. Um, so yeah, they once they snap out of it, they go down through the tunnels and out Amongst into the, the basement. Yes, um, which are really like tiny rocks, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I also got claustrophobic just thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yet again, Marco uses humor to try and cope with his emotions. I'm sorry, I was just going to say there's a little bit of foreshadowing with the encounter they're going to have later when that one enemy ant runs out from another tunnel. Um, So then that's probably how the ants found found them later. I want a pretzel. Ooh, I want a pretzel now, too. They go and find uh, the Z space transponder, a.k.a. the little P, and um, they haul it out, even though it's like compared to hauling a bus, and um, because ants are real strong for their size, something horrible happens on their upon their exit. It's so horrible. They are attacked by enemy ants because they are in enemy ant territory. And being ants, they are their little weird robot bodies are chopped into pieces by enemy robot insects. Yeah, it's like a like a zombie swarm almost like exactly. like you would see in a movie of like people's arms getting getting pulled off cuz you're just completely surrounded and overcome um and they're barely able to morph back in time to not die of their injuries um it's terrifying marco describes almost being like cut in half um, ah. and like Having the memory, like, they're all fine because they morph back, but they all now have the memory of having their limbs pulled off. Which I think brings up kind of an interesting point of, like, even if the physical damage is no longer there, it's still real. Kind of like almost a phantom limb syndrome kind of dealio. Yeah. Um. I'm not articulating that very well, but the point is that it did happen and it is real and valid, even if there's no physical evidence because it happened in their minds and all we are is in our brains and our memories and the squishy meat between our ears. There is probably a word for this and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Our nervous system does connect to the whole body and there is memories and all of that too. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. It reminds me of the way, like, the way we use VR now to, like, perform dangerous jobs. Um, So people's physical bodies are no longer put in harm's way um, to do dangerous jobs. But when drones that they're controlling get an injury that would have killed them, they experience that, that they can experience that again and again. And keep going yeah. back into it. 
a lot of like sort of vicarious trauma as well. It's also making me what the point you were making, Brad, makes me think of kind of like content moderators online. Mm, yeah. Um, and how that's an incredibly horrible, traumatizing job, and most people can't do it for very long because they get PTSD, even though bad things are not directly happening to them, but they're seeing, you know, videos of bad things happening and having to filter that out. Oh, you know what? I read that article. I tracked down the book that Marco reads uh, that has the events and nuclear weapons they would probably end the world in a week. Um, oh, really? Yeah. What is it's it? Journey to the Ants, a story of scientific exploration by Bert Huldobler and Edward O. Wilson. I think I pronounced his last name correctly there. Um, I haven't actually read it, but it, it looks like an interesting book. Gotta love that chapter 15 starts with Marco saying, I was cool. I was fine. I slept okay. <laughs> there were dreams, but I just put them out of my mind. Compulsory masculinity harms people. Chapter 15 is rough in general. Like, I think the, the actual description of the ant war was like, I think maybe even a little easier for me to read than chapter 15. Just like seeing the way that it's trapped these children um, with trauma that they can't, uh, that they don't have like really any channels to uh, work through. It's just like really, yeah, difficult to read. They're back in school. Marco is cool and fine. <laughs> um, and he's at lunch. Rachel is there. Another girl comes by and sort of deliberately or accidentally uh, made Rachel drop her fork. Um, it seems like this person is sort of a perennial bully. And Rachel snaps like like she was as taut as like, what's a good thing that pulls taut and then it breaks? A harp string, speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> and she physically attacks this other girl. Um, Marco, oh, <laughs> Marco tries to get between them. And so, of course, they all three end up in the principal's office. Um I don't care who started the fight. You all get detention. Yeah, we don't care about whatever emotional problems or difficulties led to this happening. You broke the rules. Really shows the failures of the education system. Marco falls back on his old tools and they serve him well. He diffuses the situation yeah. with humor. Um, I mean... Granted, he doesn't necessarily make things any easier for Chapman or this other person, but I think he consoles Rachel a bit with it. Yeah, she seems to find it amusing. But when I glanced over at Rachel, I saw just the slightest little tugging at the corners of her mouth, the beginnings of a smile. And they have a they have a, a conversation about their various methods of sort of control and like uh, sort of coping that is interesting. Rachel says, you grind my nerves sometimes, Marco, always joking the way you do, but keep it up, okay? We need a sense of humor. Because Rachel has determination. Rachel has, like, the execution of a plan and the thrill of victory. And that's basically all she has. If she doesn't get that payout, if she doesn't get that feeling of, I won, she doesn't have anything else to fall back on. Whereas Marco can hmm. kind of, like, bounce off of things and doesn't necessarily need like a victory condition but does need to be able to metabolize something in a way that's humorous so they provide each other uh different means of a uh, different means of coping different uh different methods um that they wouldn't be able to really handle if they didn't know each other 
Mm. It's nice that the book represents more than just like a traditional way of coping, which would be maybe like Cassie's way, which is just sort of like listening and talking and mm-hmm. sort of feeling everything out. Whereas like obviously people have all these different ways of coping, even if they're not aware of that's what they're doing. Yeah, like I think that Cassie may be in many ways the one who is coping most healthily, but also I have never in my life coped with something the way that Cassie has. So I'm just like, I'm probably more of a Marco. Yeah, I mean, that's part of why I think it's part of why they've survived probably is because they have a relatively functional dynamic. Yeah, they've all got flaws that we've explored Now this is book five, so we've read journals from each of the five Animorphs' psyches and like each of their flaws, and it seems like they're almost compatible with each other. Like diversity towards stability, they all have different methods of Mm -hmm. strengthens all of them. They are ready to execute their flawless plan. Their totally great plan to send a distress call um, to the Yerk ship with a transponder with whatever like codes or frequencies that Axe knows because the Andalites did this as well to do traps. The fact that the Andalites have pulled this before really makes it way more likely that they were going to see through it and they 100% see through it. It's Absolute an absolute ambush. So the bug fighter comes down, the kids all morph and wait to strike. They all jump out and then they realize that they are completely surrounded. <laughs> they they yeah. also chose a terrible location, like in a quarry. So in the middle of like a ditch, which is just like peak classic ambush location. Yeah, you can't have the high ground. You can't have the high ground if you're in the middle of a quarry. Aren't you only supposed to have the high ground in an ambush? Now, theoretically, isn't Tobias keeping watch here? That's kind of... Yeah, but he's got some... He's like, he can't get out because of the wind, I think. Well, no, I mean, isn't he... Shouldn't he have been able to see them sneaking up? Oh, maybe they were already there? No, because they would have... Mm. Yeah, that's the way I assumed that they all got there is they all flew down on their ships and stayed cloaked until the kids came out. Yeah, so our five kids and our one alien are abducted by aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, for real, abducted by aliens. Finally. um, Oh, what's the name of the what's the name of the syndrome where you can't? You see a hallucinant, like when you're still partially. Sleep paralysis? Yes. Actual alien abduction, not sleep paralysis. Um, <laughs> and they ride up to the Yerk mothership, all of them as their animals. I Sorry, I have a thing a little bit earlier. I'm sorry, I wasn't sure what this quote was, but I just found it. This uh, is volume five here, uh, really highlighted for me how little I know about Andalite civilization. Axe at one point uh, early on, I think in like chapter like three or four or something like that, uh, tells, I think Jake fears unworthy of a warrior. Mm, mm-hmm. Which, really so it's like, like y'all part. are not the kind of people who are like her just doing what you fear despite your fear of it. Like, all I know about Andalites is that they have a monarchy and do some war. Um, and and, and in, in this bit where they're sort of like morphing into their, their sort of battle forms, uh, 
Axes, like you have an amazing variety of animals on your planet. Someday, when the Yerks are defeated, Andalites will come here simply to try out the many animal forms. It will be like a vacation. Andalite morph tourism is a thing? <laughs> yikes! Yeah. Y yeah. Yikes. Um, yeah, that might be outdated. I don't know. We would have to look into that. I don't want to say too much more, but Andalite morph tourism definitely took me by surprise, or at least Axe's rather blasé treatment of it. Yeah, I think that it never quite caught on on Earth as much as Axe predicted that it would um, because of like various treaties and stuff. Um, so they do go up in the spaceship and they have some conversations between themselves. Axe, yeah, he apologized. I'm sorry I brought you all to this. This is my fault, which, yes, correct. <laughs> it is. Um, and Marco, or no, Cassie, this is what Cassie says. Axe, you're only here because your people wanted to protect us. Your brother and a lot of Andalites died trying to save us. Nothing is your fault. And I'm like, okay, but, but, or colonialism? Um, she is being very overly generous here. Yeah, I don't think the kids are aware of the concept of a proxy war. Just, just just talking about older history like the conflict mm. between the US as the USSR and the United States they didn't necessarily ever fight on US like land or in Russian or Soviet and they and also with the Chinese as well but they had wars in Korea and am, I might be remembering this incorrectly actually but that like wars a lot of small wars during that period were actually the two gr big powers supporting uh two sides of a local national conflict and so with all of the the increase in resources for both sides creates a bigger war um and also like bringing in u.s troops and leads to way more casualties but they didn't learn about this stuff in school back then um but yes, they have that conversation. Uh, I love that Marco points out that he has sort of fallen into the very classic fiction trope of, you know, this is the last mission. And of course, the last mission, when you say it's the last mission, you're getting out of life after this is the one where you die. Um, <laughs> so last job I before just, retirement. Yeah. Going to go home to my wife and kids. Just this last, this, this last case <laughs> with the rookie cop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. How do we find out that Visser One is visiting? Um, it's when they go to find the Z space transponder. They happen to poke through Chapman's files a little bit as well. And Axe uh, mentions it, but he he mentions, you know, he knows that Visser One is visiting, but that like nothing else is known about Visser One. So we know we're gonna expect Visser One. Well, I mean, the kids certainly didn't expect it. Yeah. Nobody expects the Yerk Inquisition. Nobody expects Marco's goddamn dead mom <laughs> to actually be the leader of the alien invasion, except me. <laughs> well, that, except you were well right. Done, well done. <laughs> I think you were right that she wasn't dead, yeah. I mean, do we not all have alien mothers? Wow. <laughs> no, I'm so deep. <laughs> Okay, so so this raises the question of how long have the Yerks been on Earth, and like, is anything that they're going to do on the local level going to matter? Does anything any of us do really matter? 
I guess we'll, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> or or not. <laughs> These kids just happened to be here when this happened and then where the prince was killed and gave them powers. And they also just happened to be at the school where one of the highest ranking controllers and also the entrance to the Yerk pool is there. And I think you can kind of explain that by like all of those reasons are why the prince's ship went down where it did. Yeah. Yeah. It all sort of starts to unravel a little bit, make a lot more sense. Just living in this town, they were at a high likelihood coming across it. Yeah. Okay. That makes a good, that makes good sense. Yeah. It seems a lot less coincidental at this point. Well, there are allegedly some reasons for that later on in the journals, but I am deeply suspicious of them. But yeah, I also, I really, um, like, genuinely was moved by the exchange between Axe and Marco about fearing death. Um, Which is, these are 13-year-olds, and they're having to, like, deal with the fact that they think they're about to die. Mm, Yeah. Gosh, at least there isn't an an anti-morphing technology (laughs) that they can, like, used to make them turn back into their base forms when they when they get captured. I saw that line almost uh, more anthropologically, like acts even, like why would that even occur to someone to even ask, does your species fear death? Unless maybe you've met other sentient, sapient species who don't fear death, or like I- do you know of them because you're an intergalactic, like alien colonizer. Well. Also, considering that Axe is a kid, and considering that Axe has grown up in a military family, and considering that Axe tells Jake earlier, fear is unworthy of a warrior. Yeah, I was I reading it more like for that. For validation of his own fear there. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I think I was, I was reading it more as Axe believes that fear is unworthy and has been told by Andalites that Andalites should not experience fear, and is now discovering, oh, Andalites definitely do fear death because I am fearing death right now and I am an Andalite. But fortunately, I'm in good company with these other uh, these other life forms that are pretty much in the same boat. They're maybe a little bit more emotionally open about this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, then the big reveal happens. Yeah, and then we see one of the first conversations between two of the, like, thought speak conversations between two of the kids that is not audible to the other kids because jake and marco have known each other forever so when visser one walks out and it's marco's mom marco's mom has got it going on marco's mom has got a slug in her head yeah jake recognizes her but nobody else None of the other kids, or obviously Axe, do, or have any reason to think that she has any connection to them. Yeah, Marco and Jake. I'm sorry, I just thought of a slightly better version. I know you're talking about something very serious, Brad. No, go ahead. Marco's mom is really visceral one. Marco's mom is really visceral one. (laughs) Continue. Jake tells Marco, that's not your mom, which, questionable? Yeah, because we don't know how long was Eva being controlled? Was Eva only controlled after she was lost at sea or was she controlled for some or all of her life with Marco and his dad? Also, why would he say that exactly? Because like, is this him trying to deal with his brother? Like, like why would he say that unless mm. he was trying to rationalize why his brother would do bad things? I'm interested to see and this is like really minor, but I'm interested to see now that two of the Animorphs have 
deeply personal connections to controllers if this changes the way that they treat hork and whether or not they feel... We, well, we learn how they deal with hork in like the next scene. They get taken back to a cell. The, the kids sort of realize that Visser 1 has basically a private army and Visser 3 has a private army and they're... Mm-hmm. So, so there's hork wearing gold and hork wearing red. Um, and um, Visser 1's hork just let the kids go and tell them how to escape. Saved by your politics. Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are whole dissertations about the um about Yurk military structure during there definitely this time. are. And when they're escaping, they do have to fight a bunch of Hork Bajir and we see, I think, very carefully avoided uh anybody saying that anybody killed killed any anybody. The Hork Bajir was lifted clear up off the deck, his head slammed the ceiling. He was down and out of the game. Yeah, no, he was dead. Out of the game. He's now, dead. I'm not an expert on hork anatomy, physiology, or medical science, but that sounds like something that would kill a person. Of course, they've definitely like killed some taxons. Yeah. I would make the case that killing taxons is different because taxons are compliant Yurkost species. Like, taxons have all agreed to be in a... In a They've all agreed to be controllers, whereas the Hork-Bajir have been forcibly taken over. Correct, yeah. Taxons do have their reasons, I will say hungy. that, but they are... Hungy. Yes, the the reason is hungry, but it's maybe not the best reason, but it is a reason that does explain some of their choices. Okay, when you say hungry, what do you mean? Hungry. Because if it's for if it's if it's like a biological thing where they can't control their appetites, then that becomes unethical as well to to kill tax. I mean, do you want me to tell you what it is? Because I know that Brad at least is trying to kind of experience these for the first time. Yeah, so I don't know should, if I should. We should let say the channels explore this. The animorphs don't know it at this point, so I will also be content to not know it. They are okay. just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I should go oh, soon. Yeah, me too, actually. Yeah. Um, well, we are almost at the end of the book. They get into a space pod. They demorph so that Rachel, an elephant, can get into an escape pod. <laughs> and they make it back to the quarry where they where they started. Marco, as we've seen throughout this book, Marco makes a lot of jokes. A lot of jokes that do not land very well yeah um but there's one I know that feeling that he can't make it was a kind of a joke now i thought the yerk mothership my mother on the yerk mothership yeah that was like ooh, oh, knife to the heart ha ha is the next sentence <laughs> it's just like you know when you hear about the stuff and you read the stuff as a kid and you're like oh wow these were historical figures who were my age or who were a little older than me who went through all of this that's so cool and you know you're like you know you're like maybe 10 years old and you're like oh 13 year olds are so grown up i'm sure a 13 year old could do all of these things and now as an adult i'm just like why did no one protect these children and i know why but still yeah yeah age gives you a whole different um perspective on a lot of things Mm -hmm. yeah okay so you're 
military structure not really up to par your technology such that they could splash back down in exactly the quarry they left from from space i can we do that yet even i don't think we could i don't know if we could do that yet um, um human technology no but the technology that we have borrowed from our various alien allies some of it i think that's nuts could like, you that's not program just program a location into an escape pod and have it navigate oh yeah but the earth spins and then like wind happens there's so much that goes into like touching down in an area of like a couple miles let alone the exact same little pit in the ground mm. like it's i know nothing about astronautics i watched the movie hidden figures <laughs> very nice so Hell yeah. that's all i know is just hidden figures which is a movie that takes place like 40 something years or a little less maybe before these so that's not helpful really they still had to do all the math by hand we get our final visit to marco's masculinity corner as he goes to the grave of his mom because he survived his father did not have to go to her grave alone you probably wouldn't think i was the kind of guy who would cry mostly i don't mostly i make jokes about things it's better to laugh than to cry. We know, Marco. <laughs> yeah, there's a line I really like, actually. Let me see if I can find it. About the gorilla and, like, how it can't protect him from his emotions. But the gorilla was too much like a human. Its instincts were gentle. Like humans, it was a creature with emotions. It could not protect me from the pain. Yes, Marco, I'm sorry that your powerful gorilla body This is an incredible moment of prescience emotions. that Marco is experiencing here and prevents him from going into a disastrous bodybuilding phase later on in his life. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, good job. <laughs> your muscles can't Maybe protect if I you from emotions. Iron, you can't I will just sweat emotions. out all of this emotional agony I'm experiencing. Uh, yeah, I've met people like that. It's weird. Ugh. That's how you develop an unhealthy body image. Anyway. Okay. Um, does anyone have any last points they want to make to wrap stuff up? Because I am yeah, starving. <laughs> like a taxon. <laughs> Similarly to a taxon, I am ravenous for flesh. Because <laughs> Axe goes into how specifically this one is like basically the leader of the Yerk invasion of mm -hmm. Earth. Um. Yeah, anybody else have any last thoughts? They just Marco, please go to therapy. Therapists that these children would have needed back then, and it's like, we have them now. It's like... I know, he could at least go to therapy about his mom feelings. But real men don't express their feelings! Okay, bye, stay really? safe! Stay, stay safe, safe, everyone! everyone. <laughs> bye, stay oh, bye. safe. Bye! So what book are we reading next week? Um, <laughs> sorry, I have to... <laughs> It's number six. It's called The Capture. It's narrated by Jake, I, I think. I find it first. Um, sorry, I have it oh, open yeah. right now. So. Cassandra, do you want to tell us what book we're reading? Oh, Erso Rin wants to okay. do it. Next week, it looks like we'll be reading what? journal number six, The Capture. Ooh. Thanks and to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Again. Girl off the EP oh. Field Notes from Another and Place and Complicated Spoon. Square. You can find more of Noelle's music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. <laughs> the, 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 the cycle continues. The Morph Report is hosted sure. by Marina Malucci, um, Hamlet Cooper, yeah. anyway. and Anyway. All right. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. 
If you have yeah, a question right. for the Potomars, tweet at us or send us an email and we'll answer this it on the show. Our fun. email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stopping Armageddon like a comic book girl. Dead on page 11 like a comic book.